Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, where each week we hope to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking questions, interviewing thinkers, and having real honest conversations about what it looks like to lead the next generation. I'm Brett, and sitting around the table today, we have Crystal. Hi. And we have Ashley. Hey there. And we have Kayla Lynn. Hey. Kayla is a counselor here in the Atlanta area who specializes in working mainly with students and teenagers who are suffering with trauma, depression, suicidal ideation, anxiety, identity, grief, loss, and self-worth. And so we are so grateful to have Kayla sitting around the table with her expertise and her experience in this. Today on Rethinking Youth Ministry, we're going to be talking about navigating mental health and suicide and ministry. So as you can guess, today is going to get a little bit heavy. I may or may not get emotional because of some of the ways that I've experienced this in my own ministry. I know that for some of you listening to this, it might get a little emotional for you too because of what it triggers for you, the experiences that you have had. And so we are going to be having some pretty open conversations about a pretty sensitive topic. So if you have kids around or anyone that you don't really want to hear some of this, it's time to put the headphones in. Guys, ready to have this kind of conversation? Let's do it. Okay. Do headphones go in or on? Earbuds go in. Earbuds go in. Headphones go on. Maybe. I don't know. Earmuffs. I was trying earmuffs. to get I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Earmuffs <laughs> is what one of my daughters calls headphones. Earmuffs. Earmuffs. <laughs> that's pretty that's adorable, awesome. right? That, yeah. yeah. That's probably like a, a pr- product. There's that a you product put on there somewhere. We'll see. Nobody better steal that. Who's listening? I know how youth pastors work. <laughs> You just wrote that down, cross it off right now. All right, back to the serious topic at hand. Um, So, you know, there probably, I haven't lived in any other time than the time that I've been alive, but there probably hasn't been another time where mental health has been talked about more or there are as many treatments or maybe we should say healthy treatments for mental health. Um, you know, suicide related thoughts, different things like that. But it still seems like that we have a long way to go in in our world and in our culture when it comes to stuff like this. So as we kind of get started here, and and, and Kayla, obviously, you kind of have a different perspective, a different understanding, a different background with this. What do you feel like that, that we're getting right with this? And what do you feel like we're still getting wrong? Yeah, so I love the direction that our culture is going in with being more open and accepting around talking about mental health in general, because it relates to every one of our lives, um, whether we like it or not, because yeah. I tell, talk to a lot of my clients, I'm like, I'm sorry, you're not a robot. Um, and because we're not robots, because we have emotions, because we are created for connection with other people, there are going to be struggles with that. So the, the areas that, to answer your question of, to where I think we're doing well is we're talking about it more. At the mm-hmm. same time, I think there is a lot um, of discomfort around talking about things like suicide or self-harm that we previously had talked about. And even going, okay, it's okay to have these types of issues, like anxiety and depression is more common, but well, if you get to this intensity, um, yeah. then there's a stigma still. Or if you have to be on medication, then there's that stigma of, oh no, you should be able to handle this alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have a problem um, in our society of still um, separating medical and mental health when those intertwine so yeah, so much. Absolutely. So ladies, I know you came from kind of the public school system, mm-hmm. and then you have also spent a lot of time in ministry. Did you have a, a preparation for something like this? Like, did you feel like you knew how to handle these kind of conversations, how to handle these situations? 
I felt like we had training from a legal perspective mm. in the classroom of what are you legally liable for? What do you have to report? Mm -hmm. But as far as how to have the conversation with a student, I don't know that we were as equipped as we should have been considering the number of conversations I had with students mm. about mental health. I agree with that. I mean, no one really talks you through like freak out on the inside and stay calm on the outside right. or like the skills or the questions to ask. And I think that some of my first conversations with students when it came to this topic of suicide, I think uh, not that I freaked out in front of the student, but I freaked out inside of myself, yeah. you know, and, and the way that I handled it, I feel like could have been handled better had someone walked me through some of the best practices. And I don't think anybody told us how common this would be. Yes, I agree. It was always talked about like an exception. And then I was in the classroom and sometimes 40 or 50% of the students in any given class were on some sort of antidepressant, anti-anxiety wow. drug. They were, they were medicated and that, then that creates complications. Academically, it creates complications sometimes with sleeping in class with appetite. And when I'm seeing the symptoms of it going, is this normal? Is this okay that this many of my students are struggling in this way? Yeah. In that sort of a light, Kayla, what are some things that might be that might be helpful for those of us that are volunteer small group leaders or, you know, that are full-time, part-time working in youth ministry? What are some things, because we all know that the emotions of teenagers are, I mean, it's a roller coaster, it's up mm -hmm. and down, it's volatile, you never really know what to expect. And so what are some things that we can kind of be on the lookout for? that should be some red flags yeah. when it comes to, okay, maybe this is a little bit more than just some normal teenager stuff that's going on. For sure. So, um, and Ashley, I think you said it perfectly of the, I think we need to have this conversation and ask these questions in a not freak out mode. So I wanted to point that out and make sure that's reiterated, but looking at red flags as teachers, smart leaders, youth ministry, whoever is involved with teenagers on a day-to-day -day basis, some mm -hmm. red flags, number one that I always think about is isolation. If they show up less, if they're less engaged, if they aren't hanging out with um, the their friends that they normally trust, normally you can kind of see uh, students pull back when they're having a hard time because they don't feel themselves or they feel ashamed of themselves and yeah. just feel like nobody can help. So that's my number one would be if they're starting to not show up, if there's a, a difference in even their um, demeanor, they're not as excited anymore um, or they're not as interested in the things that they used to be interested in. If they, I think it, it's normal to get tired of your sport or yeah. um, to get in these lulls, but those don't last forever. And those don't, those are, that's different than wanting to quit every single thing and not having a will to do anything else. So a lot of times it is that lack of energy or lack of hope that you're going to ever enjoy anything. Yep. Yeah. And I think for me, one of the, one of the fears b before, you know, I, in my 11 years in, in full-time youth ministry, I, I had, we had three suicides in our ministry that we had to to, to wrestle through together, to walk through together, to grieve through together. And it was, you know, by far some of the most challenging stuff that, that I've ever been through in life in, in, in general. Mm -hmm. And I think before I really had those experiences, if I were having conversations with students and in my mind, I was thinking, oh no, are they, are they thinking about hurting themselves? Are they thinking about suicide? I was always afraid to be upfront with them about it. And then one of the things that, that, that I, that I learned through that process was to name that in, in conversations. Mm -hmm. And so talk a little bit about that tension between when we're having conversations with a, with a student and it seems like, 
oh, I don't want to put any ideas in their head or I don't want to, I don't want to say anything that might, might offend them. Mm -hmm. But talk about how that's actually a healthy way to, to approach that. For sure. So I feel like that you're you're exactly right. There's that myth of, oh, I can't put this idea in their head. But when we see somebody struggling and they feel stuck or they feel like they can't fix their own problem, that's one of the questions that I'll typically ask, you know, any students, I'm a smart pleader too. And I'll ask my students, Hey, like, this seems like a really hard situation that you're going through. And I know that you've been through a lot. I just want to ask, I want to check in on you. Have you ever thought about hurting yourself? Because I want to be there for you and be able to help you through this because you're not alone. Once again, we've talked about that again. I would also say, you know, it is great if you always have that tension, always be on the safe side, because then we can leave that conversation knowing that you did all you could. You gave them the opportunity to respond, yes, and be authentic. And I think that's going to be a game changer. And I think it takes the ball out of the court of the teenager. Like you break the ice by asking the question rather than making them be the one who brings it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I learned in that process also was that let's say they say yes, Mm -hmm. is that one of the next questions that you ask them is, have you, have you thought about how you would do this? Exactly. So what, what are some of the, what are some of the best ways to ask that? And let's say that a teenager says like, yeah, I've actually, I've actually thought about that. And maybe they say like, yeah, I've, I've thought about how, how I might do it. You know, I know my dad has a gun, you know, he keeps it locked away, but I've thought about that before. Mm -hmm. What are, you know, what are some next steps? either maybe even talk about this from a small group leader standpoint Mm -hmm. where, Hey, I'm just a volunteer and maybe from kind of a paid staff, you know, pastor standpoint, Mm -hmm. what, what do we do in those situations? In last week's podcast, Crystal actually had a great response to when somebody tells you something so heavy, the, one of the first responses that I think anyone should say is I'm so glad that you told Mm -hmm. me because that eliminates that fear of, should I tell them? Should I not? Is this okay? What are they going to think of me? And that I think eliminates any anxieties that the student had before, sharing because it takes a lot of courage to share something that Absolutely. deep and that vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So start there. You know, if you don't have any answers, that is okay. It's always great to start there and yep. there's nothing ever wrong with saying, I'm so glad that you told me. Uh, the next thing is a lot of times students will kind of try to brush it off and act like it's no big deal right. and say, Oh, well, I used to think this yeah. or, mm-hmm. um, it was a while ago or I wasn't really serious, but even then we want to take them seriously. And by taking, and by asking questions, we're taking them seriously and it yep. shows that we care. So the next question I typically ask is, what is your plan? I don't ask, do you have a plan? Because it's so much easier for them to Mm. say no. Um, And if you ask, what is their plan? They are able to say, well, I don't have one yet. And that can be their answer. But Mm -hmm. I always ask, what is your plan? Because I assume if they've thought about suicide to the extent where they want to share with somebody else, they probably already have a plan in mind. Um, There's... An easy little acronym that um, a lot of people use, it's called SAL, S-A-L. So we think um, suicidal ideation is S, so have they thought about it? The second one is accessibility. So when you hear about their plan, how accessible are they to that? Are they, if um, is a firearm, do they have a firearm in their house? Mm-hmm. Is it locked up? Those kinds of questions um, to see, okay, is this possible that they could carry this out? And then the last thing is lethality. Because um, a lot of times um, they'll think of an idea and they could be taking a drug that they think is going to hmm. um kill them. Um, but actually it might just put them like to sleep or it might, 
um, be an overdosing situation that's not lethal and could it could hurt their organs, yeah. but it won't kill them. Hmm. Um, so that's the last thing. Obviously, in any of these situations, you need to connect them with resources such as a counselor so that they are with a professional that can help them yep. um, and also see, okay, what are the next steps for them? Is it to create a plan? What's underneath all this? What is making them feel stuck so that they can um, feel some hope and say, okay, now I know where I'm moving forward, yeah. whereas I'm just holding this and don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So how, how would you guys handle, a student comes to you, you have this conversation with them, and they kind of lead with, hey, can, can I talk to you about something that you'll promise not to say anything about? Or, you know, that can, you know, can I trust that, that can I have this conversation where you're not going to tell anybody else? And then this conversation comes up. How do you guys handle that? I would say in almost every conversation I've had with a student, that's exactly how they start the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to tell you this because I trust you. You can't tell anybody this. I've never told anyone this before. Please don't share it. Um, and so I'm, I guess I expect that for sure. Um, and as they share, I think the place that I always like to land is um, I want to help you. And I think that the only way I can help you is if somebody who is more of a, like a professional in this area can help yeah. you either cope with what you're feeling or learn how to navigate the situation that you're going through in a way that I can't, I love you. I care about you. And because I love and care about you, I want to help you. Mm-hmm. But the only way I know how to help you is to either get your parent involved or to tell like get a professional involved. What do you think about that? And helping them in that conversation. I never surprise a student in a conversation with them and then go tell somebody because that will automatically break trust. And even if they're upset with me in the conversation, when I try to tell them I'm going to tell somebody else or who I'm going to tell, or who do you want to go talk to together? Um, even if they're upset with me at that point, there's still some trust there because I was open with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, One thing that surprised me when I first started leading students is I really thought telling them um, up front when they ask, are you going to keep this a secret? I really thought saying no would shut them down. And what I found was when students say, can I tell you something that's a secret? And I immediately responded with, hey, because I'm a teacher or because I'm a a ministry leader here, there are three things I can't keep secret. And those are the three hurts. And here's what they are that when a student heard that, they still told me their secret. And I was always surprised, like, really? You're still going to tell me? And I I thought that was cool. It really rarely inhibited them from sharing something, but at least let them know from the beginning what was going to happen next. Absolutely. You mentioned the three hertz, Crystal. So for anyone listening, why don't, can you break oh, sure, down a little sure, bit sure. for us? If a student discloses that they are hurting themselves, that they are hurting someone else, or that they're being hurt by someone, we are legally responsible um, and ethically responsible to share that with someone else. Yeah. And a, a co-youth pastor of mine, Mandy, used to always tell me, and she would lead our small group leaders, that when, when a student came up to us with that preface, her response was always, do you trust me to do what's best for you? Ooh, and good. so if they Ooh, come up good. and they say, hey, can I tell you something that, that you'll promise not to tell anybody else? Absolutely. If, if, you, if you trust me to do what's best for you, then, then I want you mm-hmm. to share this with me. And that always left the door open for whatever it might be. And her follow-up to that um, was always so wise. When it came to a situation where you, 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 you need to include the parents is her response was always, um, you know, I want, I want you to think about if this is something that you want to talk to your parents about on your own, or if you want us to talk to your parents about this. Mm -hmm. And so you leave the ball in their court and you let them know that, Hey, 
this can't just stay with us. We have mm-hmm. to extend this and you can initiate that conversation or I'd be happy to do that with you in that setting. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about how to walk through this whole issue with individuals that might be coming to us and asking some questions and wrestling through this. But, you know, as, as those that are, are, are leading groups that are leading ministries, how do we handle this with the group? How do we talk about this in our ministries in a proactive way? Yeah, for sure. So I think a lot of it is knowing where it comes from and knowing our students. If we know our students, we know a lot of what their family environments look like, what how school's going. And then through that, we can kind of see um, that it's not typically just a depression issue. A lot of it can rise out of anxiety. And we have to think back to when we were teenagers or adolescents in that young age, when we don't have much control of what our life looks like. We don't have control about what school we go to or what our parents are like or how their marriage is going. And the hardest thing I remember when I turned 16 of getting my driver's license, that was a huge Mm -hmm. piece of freedom where I could choose that I could leave. And a lot of these students feel stuck. And because Hmm. they feel stuck and don't feel like they have options or anywhere to go, that's where their mind wanders to is this is my solution. And so I think it's really helpful to understand where it's starting from, where it's coming from, that this isn't just oh, you need to be put on medication or you just need to think more positively. You have to really see their situation as a whole of how they got there. And and that's kind of a symptom of the church. I remember having a conversation uh, with a parent who was really frustrated with his kid and felt like that his son was being really selfish and didn't have a good perspective because he was being open about this kind of depression that he was Mm -hmm. feeling. And the parents' response to that was, we want you to go to your room and write down 50 things that you're thankful for. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're not being understanding. You're not being respectful to everything that you have in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so as a church, I think that we just have not really learned how to handle some of these conversations mm-hmm. and how to lead people, even, even parents, in the way that we help parents understand what this looks like. Or, hey, if they say this, this might be what they mean. And here are some handles on how to work through that. Kayla, you mentioned something so interesting about kids feeling stuck and somehow getting a driver's license seems to alleviate that. One of the worst assignments I've ever had here at Orange, one of my first assignments was I got a... uh, a text message that just said, find all the statistics on teen suicide you can. Oh, brutal. Yes. I needed a counselor immediately after. But one of the statistics that we found, and and one of the connections that I don't think I'd ever made before is if you look at suicide rates on a graph, they increase sharply at sixth grade Hmm. and they steadily climb. And the, the very first time we see a dip is in 10th grade. And 10th grade is when most kids get a driver's license. And I thought that was so interesting that the first relief point was when they could leave their house. That's really cool. Interesting. To kind of go off what you said, Brad, I think that one thing that you're with your example of the go write down 50 things, you're just not thinking positively. I always catch myself because we want to fix things. And Mm -hmm. our response is if you would just do this, or if you could just think this way, then this problem would go away when we know that's not the solution. Because when we're having problems, we don't want somebody to say, just do this or at least this. Because when we say those um, statements back to when 
when somebody is hurting, we don't feel hurt. We don't feel understood. And our problem is minimized. Yep. And yeah. when somebody mm-hmm. thinks that they can solve my problem with just one quick, oh, if you could just do this, then I've that person, number one, isn't trustworthy to me anymore. Mm. But they also don't see it, my problem yep. as real. And I think we as ministry leaders probably suffer from a worse temptation than even, than even teachers and doctors in that we feel tempted to solve things with a spiritual answer. Right. Mm-hmm. And if their leg was broken, we probably wouldn't say just pray about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is a medical issue, too. Some people might. Some people might. And if that's you, please keep listening. But <laughs> or, <laughs> for the rest of us, I think it helps when we see this as a medical issue or a physical issue versus just a, a spiritual one where we can give them a Bible verse and send them on their way. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's good. Ashley, anything that you have kind of experience that you felt like was a helpful way to bring this up, not necessarily just as a, oh, hey, by the way, before we head out of here, um, mental illness, suicide. Okay, we talked about it, go. But any any sort of normal ways that you've experienced and how to keep this in a rhythm, yeah. to keep this up in conversation? Yeah, one of the things I like to do is I had I had built a teaching team in my ministry, and um, we would rotate who would teach. I didn't have to every week, and it was amazing, and they were a great team. And one of the things we always talked about were what were the topics that we could intertwine in all mm. of our lessons? Like, what examples could we give in a lesson, even though the lesson maybe not have been directly on suicide or depression or something like that, but the example we give could be a personal story about something in that area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, and kind of getting into a rhythm of when you're bringing things up, so it looks like it's continuously coming up, so people feel comfortable talking about it. Awesome. Well, and I think in addition to that culture, um, and maybe this isn't a positive thing about our culture, but it presents the opportunity to talk about mental health and self-harm and suicide and depression over and over, um, because it comes up in media. I mean, we've been having the conversation for the last year about the Netflix series, Mm -hmm. 13 Reasons, and whether students should or should not watch it, and leaders should or shouldn't. Um, And you probably have some thoughts on that if you're listening as well. But I think those those moments when culture presents us an opportunity, I'm not saying we should all have a viewing in our student ministry (laughs) of that show, but I am saying we probably have an opportunity to have a conversation. Yeah. And I think another proactive thing we can do as ministry leaders is talk to other ministry leaders who have led their ministry through a student suicide before, because even though it hasn't happened in your ministry, just learning from what they've walked through, the mistakes they've made, the victories that they've celebrated, I think that that prepares your heart as a ministry to lead through it, because this is definitely going to be one of the hardest things ministry leaders Mm -hmm. are going to have to, first of all, grieve themselves while leading students who don't even necessarily necessarily they aren't even aware of all the emotions they're feeling, but leading them through it is a whole nother animal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the most impactful moments when we were leading our youth through one of the suicides that happened is that I had a friend on the other side of town that had been through this with his youth ministry. Mm. And he had a bunch of his leaders write me like individually. And I'm going to get emotional here. Oh, that's cool. Write me individually notes just saying that, you know, I mean, high schoolers, hey, we're praying for you guys. We know, we know what this is like. We know how hard this is. Um, and just, wow. you know, to be in the midst of that and to get that kind of camaraderie and encouragement yeah. and to know that, you know, the spirit's moving in the midst of, you know, the challenges and the grief and, and all that stuff. Brett, I think you bring up a really good point. So if you're a youth pastor listening to this and you know another youth pastor who's gone through this or has been leading through this, 
today, one thing you can do is reach out to them, whether it's a text, a call, a note, encourage them, pray for them, pray with them. I think that that could go a long way. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, an episode that we had episode six talking about, you know, how not to quit. I mean, how, how many Mm -hmm. leaders in ministry walk away from ministry because of just the burden of, of grief and having to try to lead others through that in a healthy way and not really having the, the space or the tools to learn how to do that yourself. So let's, let's talk about how to do that in a, in a healthy way. So we've talked about how to talk to individuals about this idea. We've talked about how to try to be proactive in our ministries when it comes to this. So let's say that, that God forbid, this is something that, that your youth ministry is facing whether it's a, a, you know, a a suicide. And there's even correlation here if there's just a a car accident and and somebody Mm -hmm. passes Mm -hmm. away when there's just that heavy, heavy grief in a youth ministry. How do we respond in those situations in healthy ways, either as volunteers or as, you know, leaders of the ministry? What are some healthy ways for us to, to lead others through the grief process? Yeah, so one thing that I wanted to kind of point to, especially with youth um, leaders who do go through this tragedy of suicide, and the big lie that I feel like I've heard before is clearly I'm not effective anymore, or clearly mm. we're not doing something hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is such a lie that needs to be talked through and said, and um, I think should be part of the open conversation too, that youth leaders and um, preachers are human and um, that they go through these same questioning just like everybody else is probably going through at that time when somebody does choose something like suicide. We all go through those questions. What could I have done differently? What should I have done? I should have been there. Why didn't? And all those kinds of questions start coming up, and I think it's okay to normalize those and have those conversations so that we can be there for each other. One of my goals here is to reiterate it's okay to have that as your response, as that guilt, because it's normal. It's part of our grief process because we don't understand. Um, And I think kind of lifting that burden off of um, a youth leader to have all the answers right away, that's not, number one, how we fix things, and it's also um, not what is expected. Yeah. Brett, I thought you made such a great point about the, the youth pastor across town who is helpful to you. Because as a student ministry leader, um, I think our tendency is always to care for those who are hurting. Mm. And when I lost a kid in in my Spanish classroom, I, I had a kid who committed suicide. I went into save the children mode for months. And, it, and I guess it was probably three months later, I was on a vacation, on a train, burst into tears, could not control myself, and realized that months had gone by and I hadn't grieved as a human being. And so as the ministry leader, I think the best thing we can do for our students is have at least one person who is caring for us. Yes. Mm -hmm. And if you have to pay them, that's okay. (laughs) I mean, they're the best kind. Those are the best kind. kind. Maybe, maybe the parent in your ministry is helpful to you, but (laughs) maybe shout out to all our counselors. (laughs) counselor too. I wish I actually said this to a youth pastor last week who had emailed me and said one of her students had just committed suicide. And I said, go find yourself a counselor today. I wish I'd done it. And I think you should do it. And I think your kids will benefit from it. Yeah. To piggyback off that, um, in my own experience working through the stages of grief when something like that happens, the advice I was given was, as somebody, myself, (laughs) 
<laughs> works through this, the stages of grief. And you don't want the, know what those are. Go ahead and Google them. It will help you put words to maybe what you're feeling or what you're leading somebody through. Um, the, the piece of advice she gave me was when somebody's working through the stages of grief, it's not like they check off stage one and then they go to stage two and then they get through stage two and then they go to stage right. three and then moves forward. Yep. She kind of explained it like the rooms of a house and every room in the house is a different stage of grief. And just like you walk in and out of rooms in a house, you walk in and out of those stages of grief at different times. Like there's different triggers and different things that happen that bring back emotion that you didn't even realize you still had. And I thought that was so helpful, first of all, for me and what I was working through as a ministry leader in that situation, but also helping someone else work through it. Because sometimes as ministry leaders or small group leaders, you're like, didn't we already talk about this? Like, didn't we already go here? And then knowing that it was normal for somebody to kind of go in and out of that, I think just made me a better pastor in general. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And normalizing that for your group and your students. Uh, You know, one of the things really in ministry in general, but you know, it's, I think, especially sensitive in these moments that we always have to wrestle with is what is the healthy amount of vulnerable for me to be Mm -hmm. as a leader? Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember... Heck on, I'm going to get emotional again. That's okay. Am I the first person to cry on this podcast? Brett, we love you so much. Thank We're you. for you. If we you, appreciate you sharing your experience. If you're a guy out there and you're like, man, why does this guy get emotional and you don't have kids yet? Just wait until you have kids. <laughs> and then you cried everything, apparently. Um, at least that's my story. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to be really intentional about is when when I got up on the stage and I talked to our, our whole youth group, like... Like I wanted them to see me wrestle with it. Like mm-hmm. I wanted them to see me, to see me cry about it. I wanted them to see me uh, wrestle with God about it and ask questions and to say this 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 doesn't make sense and I and and I'm upset and I'm sad and all and all of those pieces. Um, again, we can get too vulnerable where it's not healthy for students. Right. And if we're not careful, we can create this false sense of okay, you know, we had a, a senior that committed suicide. The ninth graders in the room that only saw him as, you know, a a face and a name, but they didn't really know it. They're not going to, you know, there's a sense of loss and there's kind of this, not in a mean way, but this, this selfish sense of grief of like, oh my gosh, like what if this happened to someone that I, that, and, and that's, that's a healthy response in that sort of situation. And you don't want as a leader to make them feel guilty or bad that they're not as emotional as I am That's, or as this person is or as that person is. So so as a leader, you have to be so careful about being vulnerable, making sure that they that that you're modeling a healthy, a healthy way to grieve to your students while while giving them the space to be where they need to be. So whatever room that they're in, that's okay. They can be in that mm-hmm. room. If they're not really even in the rooms, if they're outside of the house and they weren't really even affected by this, their only effect is they see people that they care about who, who are affected by this, then, then that's, where you, that's where you can be. Then that's a healthy place to be. And, and also helping them understand that in two weeks, this might hit you in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that's okay too. I think that's what makes it so difficult to lead through this as a ministry leader, right? Mm. Because you yourself are feeling something, but you still have to lead the students who aren't feeling it. If there has ever been an argument for small groups-based ministry, this is it. Yeah. Because you need an army of leaders to walk through kids where they are individually 
And if if you're the only adult leader in your environment, go find some adults oh today. Just just turn off the podcast. Go find some other adults who can walk with you through difficult situations and lead your kids. Yeah, and that and those I think were some of the most because in in those times, you know, we spent a lot of time in small group kind of conversation debrief and those kind of pieces, and making sure that that ninth grade small group leader understands that it might be a, a two or three minute conversation about mm-hmm. what they remember about that person and how they're feeling about this, and if they do talk about grief, it's probably a transferred grief from something else that they they've experienced a death mm-hmm. their their grandparents or you know a divorce or something along the those lines and. That it's okay five minutes after that conversation with you know seventh grade boys or ninth grade boys to be telling random stories mm-hmm. and to be laughing and those kind of things, even though you know the eleventh graders and the twelfth graders might be into thirty minutes of, of of crying and sharing stories and asking questions and all those different pieces. So right. it's such a huge piece to be able to equip your small group leaders not to project onto their students, hey, this is what you should be feeling. Mm-hmm. This is what we should be talking about when it's when it's you know they're probably sending some clear signals. Hey, this is where we want to be, or we're ready to move on from this. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes just a good question to ask yourself and the people around you who are dealing with something like this is, what do you need? Yeah. Because I think it's so important. Sometimes right now we do need to to cry it out or process it or tell that funny story. And sometimes we just need a break yep. and that's mm-hmm. okay too. And being able to know the difference for yourself, for your group, for you as a leader or a smart group leader to, to ask y- yourself that question and be honest with the answer. Yep. I thought our church did such a good job of handling this this year. We we lost a student to suicide a few weeks ago. And because our church serves a number of different high schools, some of the students knew that kid and some of them had no idea. And instead of making it an everybody conversation, yep. they said, hey, if you attend this high school or if you've been personally affected, we want you to stay with th- this group of leaders in this room and everyone else. We're going to do normal small group. And I just thought that was such a healthy way to release those who weren't affected yep. from having to pretend like they understood mm-hmm. and to give some privacy to those who were really struggling. That's awesome. So any, any last thoughts as, as we wrap up this conversation? Have a plan. Mm-hmm. is my last thought. Um, I remember when when the student from my classroom committed suicide and I was having a moment with my students in that class and a school counselor came in and said, I'm here because of what's happened, opened a notebook and began to read how to process grief out loud. Hmm. And it was so stinking weird because the school had no other plan. We had no plan for walking kids through grief other than here's what the manual says, kids. Um, don't be that leader. <laughs> and don't. And maybe you need to be the leader that asked them to leave because that's what I did. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Could Crystal. you? Could you? It's leave? amazing. Um, but I think that's what happens when we don't have a plan. And if we don't ever want to think that, about this happening, obviously we don't want to believe that this could happen in our ministries, but it could yeah. because we serve students and students do things all the time that we wish they wouldn't. And so I think the most important thing we could do is th- spend a few minutes thinking through what would this look like and who's going to take care of me mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. leader and who's going to take care of my leaders and who's going to take care of my students. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think we need to work very hard to convince anyone that this is a hot topic and an important topic. And if yeah. we do need to convince you, just Google the word suicide and put click the news tab and you'll see just the news headlines mm. that are listed of teenage stories. Um, and those are just the ones that made the news. Um, but it was probably one of the most common topics we... Um, have requests of like, how do we, do you guys have resources that we can talk yeah. to our students about this or parents about this? Or how do we talk to our students about this? And so as a, as a team, a student team here at Orange, we've been creating a talk on suicide so that it's in the process of being created right now. And so we're hoping to get that into your hands here in the near future um, so that you can best lead your ministry proactively through this topic. Awesome. So um, my takeaway would definitely be don't ignore it. Allow yourself to grieve. Don't fool yourself that you, you, you're fine or that you can handle it because this is something that none of us are prepared for. We can never prepare enough to um, emotionally handle this. And then if we're talking um, to other students who are going through this, I think it's great to reassure ourselves and reassure them that this was their choice and there are mental health issues that are biological problems and uh, that we have to face in our community that are not treated. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's because the person hasn't sought treatment and sometimes um, that's also because they were hiding. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it can be so blindsiding is because we didn't know and that mm-hmm. is not our fault. Um, I think there are places where we can be proactive, but as leaders, as individuals, we have to understand and accept that this was their choice. Mm-hmm. Kayla, what would you say to any small group leader or ministry leader listening where they have a teenager in their group who's shown signs of suicide ideation and you've taken the correct protocol and you've talked to the parent, you've connected with the parent, and that parent is the one who minimizes Mm -hmm. the signs of suicide and the parent doesn't want to bring them to a professional counselor and doesn't want to make a big deal of it. Um, What do you do in that situation? How can you best minister to that kid? Yeah, so sometimes um, it's another hard meeting with a parent, and and I've asked the question with the parent, at what point would you believe your mm. student? At what point does she have to be crying out for you to take her seriously? Mm. And sometimes that catches them and makes them think they are already doing these concrete things that we can see. They're isolating themselves. They're, you can tell that they aren't happy. They're not in um, the same group of friends or partaking in the things that they used to be interested in. They've written these things down. At yeah. what point will you believe? leave them and I think that's a starter question just to make just to keep Mm -hmm. them thinking um but after that if you you can't force your the a parent to take their child to counseling which I wish we could sometimes right Mm -hmm. uh and I can't adopt 80 kids that are in my community that have those parents because it's so rampant because they don't want to see it that's the hard part is Mm -hmm. that they're like not my child they're fine they're just being dramatic and they make excuses in their head of why this isn't an issue um and I think showing your student that you care for them and checking in on them and knowing that you can't fix their problem and that's okay. But I think a big protective factor is hearing and seeing somebody care and proactively seek them out just as an emotional support um, is going to make a big difference because they clearly aren't getting that at home. Awesome. That's a great answer. Mm. Uh, one one last thought f- for me is if you ever end up in this situation, again, as a ministry leader, as, as a small group leader, the ministry of presence matters, mm-hmm. is that you don't have to say anything. I hope that you never get the calls uh, that I've gotten before, where you literally have to show up to a crime scene, and oh. you're sitting with the, the, the family as there are police walking around. 
And the reality is that there is not much you can say in that moment to make anything better, but there are plenty of things that you can say to make it worse. And the ministry of presence of just being with them and just crying with them and comforting them and going to get them a drink, you know, whatever it, it's going to be, you're, you're representing the presence of God in a physical way for them that, that they need in that moment with all the confusion and the guilt and the frustration that the parents, the siblings, whoever it is that's there uh, that they need. So um, the ministry of presence really matters in these moments. So don't be afraid just to be. That's what your job is a lot of times in the midst of these moments. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this heavy edition version of Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast. Um, There's still a lot of these kind of conversations uh, that we'll probably jump back into at some point. And we'd love to hear uh, some of your thoughts and the ways that you've handled this, the ways that that you would like to to share maybe some resources that you've used in these sorts of of situations. But we're so glad that you joined us for this. And finally, if you have a, a friend or a fellow youth pastor, a parent or even small group, leaders who come to mind as you are listening to this episode who who need to hear this conversation, uh, then we would love for you to share that with them. You can send them to the website at rethinkingym.org. And I'm so grateful for Kayla for being with us. Thank you so much for taking your time. And I want to thank you so much for Crystal and for Ashley for joining us as always. I'm Brett. Thank you so much for listening and joining in the conversation.